Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are Jill's Journals Out Loud. And today, I believe, because you know how I'm a little off, I'm in a, like, bubble. I don't know what's going on in most of the world right now. Uh, It's Thursday, February 2nd. I can't believe it's February. Thank God it's February 2023. I'm still down here in Yuma. And while I had a plan for the podcast today, kind of, I cannot even tell you what's gone on for the last 20, 30 minutes here trying to get anything recorded. And I wanted to kind of make a point of that, but I can't even do that. So I'm trying to take a deep breath, recenter myself, and come back with what I really wanted to say, which I can't remember. And the reason I can't remember is I have now gone through... uh, two different microphones, trying to get anything to record without feedback and or uh, running out of power. Uh, Of course, in the time that I sat here, the dog decided to wake up and chew on her bone, but I'm not going to stop her, which hopefully you can't hear in the background. And, you know, I've had to digress into the least level of quality that I'm able to put together here in my fabulous little life. I've seemed to shrunk down into almost nothing. (sighs) Deep breath again. Uh, But the other hand is uh, we have on tap for what I'm hoping are three days of relatively calm. It's been very windy and cloudy and rainy down here in Yuma and makes life very confining when you're inside a truck and you can't really go outside too much. So uh, I'm really hoping to get to be able to stretch my legs, to get back outside, Uh, but I'm infinitely grateful I'm not where most of you are in some kind of extreme weather. I think this winter has been a little tough for quite a few people with the future being revealed, I think, as we move into uh, the systems of of, uh, change, the cycles of change that... uh, I don't think are going to be very fun, but there's nothing we can do about them because here they come. And that's part of, you know, where I wanted to go with this today. But but what I really wanted to sort of highlight is how difficult it is to even know what to talk about with you because there's so many things going on. And I'm so aware that my limitations My physical limitations, my mental limitations, my who I am as a human being limitations. I spend so much time getting lost in my limitations. I never get to what is, I think, of real value. At least that's what I tell myself in my mind. And I have this infinite source of frustration. And And I don't know how it is for everybody else because, you know, we always have this idea that everybody else has their uh, shit together, right? It's just us that are flopping around and struggling. And I like it when I hear other people struggle because, you know, my happy place is overcome. It's to overcome a problem, overcome a limitation, to push forward into the unknown, to uh, fail and fail and fail and then come out the other side. But there's a whole lot of, you know, cussing and aggravation and stomping of the feet and journaling you know, that goes on in that process, which is really ugly, you know, that nobody else needs to see about. And arriving at these simple truths, and then I'm happy, but they don't translate into anything when you say them out loud. 
you know, it's like the sky is blue. Well, everybody can see the sky, sky is blue, but, you know, today the sky is blue has a whole different meaning than two days ago when the sky was gray and all I wanted was the sky to be blue. And that's sort of the point. There's so much information. Uh, there's so many ideas. There's so many ways to be in the world that the bottom line is that none of it has value to everyone at the same time in every way, but rather it's for us in that moment, in that experience that we create the value. I was, uh, I've been following somebody uh, on Substack who is the epitome, here she comes, here she comes, here she comes, uh, is the epitome of a wired for danger person. And I don't want to say his name because at this point I want to make a comment about what he says. And I see that in myself, I see that in others, and I try to not do it, but it slips out, is criticizing what other people are doing to somehow justify creating value to what he offers. Uh, and that was sort of the one of the topics that floated through my mind is how what's happening right now for all of us i think in so many ways is that you know we're there's there's different truths that we're all seeking to expose and to share and they all have different meaning and different value to different people at different times and they're all uh important but at the end of the day, you know, I think we question, are they important? You know, I shared with you uh, the last podcast, my frustration with the digital world uh, and being art uh, creative, the art of the digital world. And there was a comment by Rose that really, you know, spoke to that and how, you know, when she moves into the pure energy of creation, how that diminishes uh, and to me, what I've you know tried to come to understand is that's the purpose of art. The purpose of art is to express that in physical symbol and story and form and containers and systems. Uh, but it's also how do we express that in our actions, in our words, in our day to day? And then we get lost in the drama of what's going on. And things like, you know, love and hope and joy don't mean anything when you're hungry. They don't mean anything when, you know, we've got nukes coming at us. But at the same time, they are everything. And there's so many things swirling at one time. I know right now I sound a little incoherent because that's what's going on for all of us. And, you know, one of the, the things that I wanted to talk about briefly is this idea of what truth is and what we do with it and what it means to us. It's been so manipulated. So, uh, you know, one of the things I've observed is that when we have whistleblowers or we have investigative journalists expose things that are important as a culture and a society to know so we can be aware and, you know, theoretically make changes around that, that in the real world version, there's like zero impact, right? And, and this same uh, reporter who's uh, out of the country showing pictures of what's going on down in the Darien Gap. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, the Darien Gap is 
uh, down, I believe, in Panama. It's considered to be the most dangerous place in the world. And it's the funnel in which people are coming and migrating to the U.S. And one of the things that he's done is take some pictures of the camps that have been set up that look a lot like the camps up here on the border uh, for the NGOs to facilitate people from all over the world funneling up through the Darien Gap. And the uh, Panamanians aren't really fighting it at this point, uh, but you look at the pictures and it just looks like the pictures that we've seen of all the other stuff on the border and there's no impact. It's just an aerial photo from a drone with some tents and some green space. And you look at that and you go, "Uh uh-huh. And it doesn't have any kind of emotional impact. It doesn't create outrage. It doesn't even create a reality about what that means that you've got uh, the U.S. facilitating the process of all of this mass migration uh, by setting up systems to move people across a large swath of land to get to our border. So it's not even the idea that the border is open, but the idea that we're doing it to ourselves, quote unquote. And you look at it and you go, "Uh uh-huh, and then you move on. Uh, And the same is true, what I've noticed is with, for those of you who aren't familiar with Project Veritas, who does these sting operations and exposes whistleblowers Uh, come to them, they go in and they expose people in different corporations, media companies, things like that, that what's really going on behind the scenes. But what I've noticed is when people get it on video, uh, it doesn't sound explosive. In fact, it often is presented in such a way that there's no emotional impact, meaning uh, here I am admitting the last one was the uh, Pfizer uh, chief, the guy that was in head of R&D, and he's talking about gain of function, and he's not saying, oh, well, we don't call it gain of function. We call it uh, evolution, I think, uh, of the, the virus. And he's talking about how Pfizer is uh, part of the process, and they're mutating the, the, the uh, virus intentionally, just like the other, you know, bio labs have been doing because that way they can make more money. And he's like calling it a cash cow. And he's like, yeah, you shouldn't tell anybody this. And and he's, you know, he's flamboyant and he's, you know, thinks he's on a date. And so it's said in such a way that it doesn't feel like a movie. And that's what we're used to. And I think that's so important. Uh, I don't know if any of you got to see the Eric Snowden, I mean the Eric Snowden, the, uh, I just lost his first name, Uh, the Snowden movie compared to the real life version. And it was really interesting because when you put it in a movie format, it feels like there's, you know, there's history, there's context, there's uh, impact, there's progression, uh, there's a peak, there's a conflict resolution, uh, there's an outcome. And then you have this fantasy that somehow the outcome will result in massive change. But I know his uh, Snowden's name is like floating around and I can't quite grab it. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. But uh, so he's he is trying to share something that he understood at the time, Snowden, that was so important that we went, uh-huh, 
but it just doesn't register. And it still really hasn't registered because we're seeing the headlines about how uh, everybody's spying on everybody all the time. There's like no privacy. Uh, I watched a report on Edward, Edward Swoden, so I was close. Uh, there's a guy, he's called Lao Wei. I don't remember what his real name is, but he lived in China for 10 years. And now he does uh, YouTube videos on the realities of the Chinese. And he still knows people in China. So he provides a perspective that most of us don't get. And uh, I watched one recently about what happened to all the people who were protesting. And, you know, the, the, the world was told, and it was the biggest protest since Tiananmen Square. And, you know, Tiananmen Square, we got to see the realities of the Chinese government and what they do to their protesters. This time, we did not. And the idea was that the mass protests resulted in China rolling back its COVID uh, restriction policies. But what he showed us uh, was the videos of the uh, story of a woman who said, you know, I'm, this is only can be sent out if I disappear. And part of what he shows is how China went through just like we did at uh, January 6th and found every single person thousands of people through cell phone technology, through uh, face recognition technology, and all the other spy things that they've got going on. And they've been quietly disappearing everybody that was associated with this these protests. So the public thinks that the protests resulted in China making policy change, but nothing could be further from the truth, that it was and is sending the message, just like we have in America right now, is if you question what we're doing, we're going to make you disappear. And and so we're having this weird place where people are desperately trying to tell the truth, but the real truth is often has no impact because it's not like a movie. It's not a great big peak thing and everything doesn't change and history doesn't turn on a dime. And and so we just go, uh-huh, and we move on. In the same way I was talking about creativity, we look at these fantastic images and we look and we go, uh-huh, and we move on because there's so much information coming at us uh, and there's so much manipulation of information coming at us that our brains really aren't designed to do this kind of sorting and there's no time to act. And I was thinking about that this morning as I had, you know, 600 different ideas floating through my my head about what I wanted to talk about and how I can't stay focused. I can't stay on topic. I, you know, every morning I haven't even journaled yet. Like every morning, you know, I write about trying to refocus myself, purge out all the junk, you know, get online and then it goes all out the window and you know what happened this morning is I had you know kind of an idea I spent 20 or 30 minutes uh, effing with the microphones right it stops working you know I'm I can't see I you know I'm fuddling around you know dumping stuff it's getting lost because these little tiny things you know and and I'm aggravated. And, you know, today I have to figure out if the generator is going to even work. And so I'm having that conversation. Like, can I even use any of my equipment because I have no way to power it? I mean, so there's all this background crap that doesn't 
really mean anything, but it's so impactful because it completely derails me. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that we're overwhelmed. And just trying to do simple things is exhausting on almost every occasion. Uh, Not yesterday, but the day before, uh, I went to town because one of the things I needed to do, like I shared with you, was to get the, uh, to figure out why my editing program crashed. And so, you know, I found a place to park and go into the library and look out a window to kind of keep an eye on Haven in the car. One, you know, so nobody else is coming to the car and taking my stuff out of the back. And two, you know, to keep an eye on her. And, you know, before we did that, I tried to take her out to go to the bathroom and all she managed to do was to roll in a stinky pile of fresh dog poop. So her whole back is covered in fresh dog poop. Deep breath. So I come and I clean her up and, you know, stick her in the car and, you know, think I have everything protected and I've got food and water and bones for her entertainment while I'm inside. And I haul my 800 pounds of equipment into the library. I position myself in the one place I can look out the window and the librarian comes up and says, you can't sit here. This is the children's area. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to watch my dog. And there wasn't really anybody there. So she let me stay. Well, there's Haven jumping into the front seat. And I can see she's at something. She's chewing, tearing something up. Well, I can't focus now. You know, I did manage to to try to get the program downloaded. I haven't turned it back on to see if it would work. Uh, I couldn't get into my Substack because I couldn't find my password. And I couldn't get my programs to load. And and. You know, it's just this never-ending cluster of things. And I I think, God, is this, you know, me because I'm ADHD on steroids that I have so much more trouble? Uh, or does other people have these same experiences, but they just don't get as flustered and dysregulated as I do? And, uh, you know, and the reality is I don't know what she's up there chewing. And if I don't go out and look, it could be something which is too late, I'm sure, at this point. You know, what if it's something important? You know, what if she's pulling at something, uh, you know, that I need that I can't replace? And it's like so much time gets sucked up into this kind of stuff. And I think about at the same time, we have all these great big issues, right? There's uh, I was just listening to a report on not not the nuclear threat now, but how the the biggest nuclear threat was in the 80s. And, you know, 45 minutes in, I can't even remember the name of the the thing that happened that set all this off. And so, you know, I'm listening sort of, you know, while I do other things. I can't remember anything that he's talked about, but I also know that that was important because he's trying to set the stage about why we're in this situation now based on history. But I can't even keep it straight. I can't, I'm listening, but I'm not hearing anything. Uh, I only hear enough to go, yep, yeah, that's bad, but I have no memory of what the date's and the actual labels are. In the same way, I just lost Snowden's first name, right? Edward, Edward Snowden. And I ask, is this just me or is everybody like this? Are we losing more than we're holding on to at this moment in time? You know, it's so important to have 
people doing the work of investigative journalism and whistleblowing and trying to get truth out there, but is it really having an impact? And I would say in the big picture, yes, but it really goes to this idea that I've been trying to share is that the truth itself doesn't set you free because if you don't do anything about it, nothing changes. And we're in this moment, like in China and the US, where if you try to do something about it, you're getting scooped up and put in prison, and that's the end of you. Where's the outrage? We don't have any outrage about the people, the political prisoners in Washington who are going on two years of being held without... I mean, they are doing the trials now, but I mean, they're just crazy sentences for people who didn't do anything. I mean, there was a handful of people who did, you know, some small kind of violence, but or uh, touched things. But hundreds of people are in prison being tortured because of political issues that have nothing to do with what we tried to establish constitutionally. And most people, myself included, I have brief memories of hearing the stories about why we put our form of legal system into place. I mean, if you read the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, I mean, we have a lot of of, uh, systems put into place to try to avoid the whole concept of being held as a political prisoner, the right to a speedy trial. There was, I can't remember, I just have brief, you know, you know, making my point that there was four people that were in prison forever, just being held for no reason. Uh, You know, it's history repeats and we don't really learn anything from it and we keep repeating the same problems and we still have these same cycles of people desperately trying to get the truth out there that somehow that truth is going to make a difference and that everything's going to change and life is just going to be good and yet you know here we find ourselves again only this time the truths can't touch the level of 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 uh, evil, right, that's been perpetrated out in the world because uh, we're talking about bioweapons, we're talking about nuclear bombs, I mean, we're talking about famine, you know, we're talking about things that are so big, one person screaming truth or millions of people screaming truth isn't going to do anything to change any of it other than create awareness of it. Because what you're not seeing is the kind of action that would actually make it stop. And the reason you're not seeing that is that it's so big and so pervasive and so overwhelming, you just kind of zone out because it's like, what can I, one person, do? And so, you know, I've sort of taken you on this crazy little mental process journey with me this morning because... This is real. This is happening to us. And, you know, one of the things I try to do in my own little tiny world is figure out how do I want to position myself as we move forward, right? Things are going to get cold. Food is going to get difficult. Uh, You know, I've shared with you, I doubt I can survive because I can't do the physical labor that's involved in survival once it gets hardcore. But 
at the same time, you know, I still want to be semi-practical, right? And at least be able to share information. And one of the, the ideas that I've had is how, uh, you know, one of the things that they're going after is uh, the ranching. And that's the thing, you know, that I have the most connection with because I spent, you know, about eight years doing livestock caretaking for different people. And how hard people who raise animals work and how I've learned in my own body, I don't do well without animal products. I can't be a vegetarian. There's just no universe that I can do that. And so for me, it's very personal. You know, I also know that the Wired for Danger nervous system for most people will do better on a high protein or ketogenic form of diet because uh, even though I can't do that right now in my own life based on my own never-ending limitations, uh, I had enough time in that ketosis state to know that my brain worked a lot better. You know, I didn't have enough time to work out how to keep my body from falling apart, but the, the brain part was very evident that a lot of the dysregulation went away when my brain calmed down. And so I can know that intellectually, but I can't magically make it happen, which goes again to just because you know a truth doesn't mean it magically changes everything. So, you know, one of the things that I've been interested in is buffalo and, you know, bison. And so I, I got a book about the American buffalo that talks, uh, it's by Stephen Ranella, and it talks about his, he's a hunter, he has a show called Meat Eater, his focus is on hunting, uh, but he in 2005 pulled a ticket to be able to kill a buffalo up in Alaska. And so the book parallels that process in addition to historical and information about buffalo and the American uh, journey of the buffalo. But one of the little and the reason I have, you know, thought a lot about that is for a couple things. And and one of, you know, the things that s sparked me was, you know, what's the role of the wired for danger person without war? And, you know, the way that uh, the Native Americans hunted buffalo by running uh, one of the ways I'll get to that in a minute that uh, was on horseback. And it was dangerous, but it was exciting and thrilling. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of thing that uh, the Wired for Danger needs to have in their life. We can't just sit around and farm and be happy. We have to have risk. We have to have danger. We have to have intensity. How can we do it in a way that's productive to society and not just make war so that we can have our happy place, but, in the, you know, create all this other devastation? And so that's sort of what you know, started it, you know, then I'm like, okay, I know I need meat. So I want to get, you know, connected with people who raise meat, but I can't do it myself. So, you know, what can I do in that process? And uh, so, I, you know, I've been researching uh, who's growing, who's uh, raising buffalo, where are they? And then, you know, as I'm reading this book, it talks about how the fur density of the American buffalo is so it's, it's so much more dense, meaning there's more hair per square inch on a buffalo than any other mammal that we consume. 
And when they did tests to see uh, where did they get uncomfortable, where did cow, where did elk, where did buffalo get uncomfortable, they got down to minus uh, 22 Fahrenheit on the buffalo, and the buffalo still wasn't exhibiting uh, any kind of discomfort from temperature drop. Whereas uh, when I was on the ranch, uh, the cow at f- it can hold its body temperature to about 18 degrees. Uh, at that point, it needs uh, additional food so that it can eat high quality. It needs to be high quality hay. It needs to eat so that its stomach, and the same is true, you know, for the horses, and uh, it works as a furnace. And so they have to eat more to produce heat to stop being cold, but they get uncomfortable uh, at a much higher temperature than the buffalo did. And so I thought, well, you know, we're moving into the cold zone and buffalo existed in the ice age in a different form, but they existed like that would be a really smart thing would be to uh, create more and more buffalo, right, to in, in, to bring more buffalo into fruition. Uh, you know, another thing the Wired for Danger could do would be to protect the buffalo because if we move into or when we move into a famine place, it will be more and more difficult to protect food. But by the end of me reading this book, and I'm, I'm reading about the uh, politics and the uh, different belief systems and you know, I'm like, ugh, I don't even want to go near all that because it's full of the same crazy thinking process that I had when I was exploring uh, the wild horse movement. And, you know, it just makes me want to throw up my hands and run away and I don't want to think about it. And I don't, because the truth is there is no answer. There's no answer to the buffalo. There's no simple answer to, uh, to the horse, wild horse problem, because everybody has their own belief, their own perspective. And, you know, if history shows us anything, because that was one of the obscene things about learning about the buffalo, was it's not just the white people who did these mass slaughters. Uh, The natives did it, too. It's just, it was so grotesque what happens to the buffalo by the hand of human in addition to what they just did to themselves, they would get stuck in these swamps and they would be, you know, thousands would die in the river. And it's so depressing because there's a part of us in our domesticated little world that's so uncomfortable with the realities of what it means to survive in the world and what needs to happen. And the author of the book, Stephen Ronella, talks about that same feeling that, you know, he doesn't want to kill it. But at the same time, this is where food comes from. And uh, and I agree with him in that his belief, which I've come to also, is if you're going to eat meat, you need to be part of that process of how it gets eaten versus being all... Uh, I don't think most people realize how many animal products are in all kinds of things that we use. Uh, that was one of the interesting things about the buffalo process is, you know, we they killed them off because they were just taking their hides. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. She's waking up and bad things are happening in here. Okay. And, and so at one point, you know, through the whole process, which was disgusting, uh, there was tons and tons of bones, right, left out. Well, somebody figured out how to make 
the bones part, the buffalo bones part of bone china. And so that's why a lot of the the bones from the buffalo got cleaned up is because uh, people were making uh, china, uh, American and England, English bone china came from buffalo, you know, was started to be part of the buffalo bones. And that's what cleaned a lot of it up and then fertilizer. And so it was a really fascinating read, but it just goes to this point that there's no perfect solution. There's no truth that changes everything. There's no way of getting some kind of piece of information. The single idea, whether it's the truth of God, whether it's political truth, uh, whether it's the truth about my own personal limitations, none of this changes everything. None of it makes it magically all okay. None of it takes us back to a place where we don't have to think about it anymore. It's just depressing. And then we have to pick ourselves up from collapsing about the realities of what truth won't do and decide how we want to move forward. Because that was really why I dived into this uh, endless survival place. Because all the spiritual truth in the world doesn't mean I get fed. And, you know, that's always been one of my complaints with people who do uh, the guru thing and they go to sanctuary or they go to India and, you know, zone out om in their meditative states. You only do that when somebody else is out there hauling trash, growing food, uh, creating the systems of the world and making them move forward. Spiritual truth doesn't mean squat, If you can't feed yourself and culture and society is responsible for doing the work of civilization and we are in a place and these are one of these truths we don't want to think about it of being so domesticated we don't even know how to take care of ourselves anymore. And so for me that was one of the truths I wanted to understand what does it mean to survive what are we responsible for you know and my takeaway is it's really hard and it's really hard work and there's no way to do it where everything is perfect and happy and you know I can grow lettuce and nobody gets hurt well uh, here's an interesting fun fact. On one acre uh, uh, that will feed a cow, if you have high-density grass, uh, you can feed one acre per cow. Uh, that same acre, if it's farmed, kills 300 animals, you know, which are mostly rodents. So we all have mixed feelings about that. But, but there's, you know, this fantasy that farming and vegetarianism is this magical solution. Uh, and the reality is it's not. You don't have any fertilizer coming in. You don't have uh, a, a level of health as a culture and a society when everybody's vegetarian. I mean, there's all these other things that go into it. And There's just no simple, magical way forward in which everything is soft and easy. Now, you know, one of the really interesting things is is when you pull back and step out from human, right, the earth functions and operates. It doesn't mean that nobody gets hurt. It doesn't mean that species don't go extinct. It doesn't mean that there's not horrific national natural disasters, but it moves in an ebb and a flow because no one species is trying to control everything. You know, human came onto the scene and we have spent our entire process trying to control things out in the world to accommodate who we are within and within our own tiny experience. And, you know, I, one of the things as I've lived more and more outside, uh, 
you know, my inside space keeps getting smaller and I keep doing more and more stuff outside. I totally understand why people want to control the outside world because it's exhausting, you know, being at the mercy of climate and temperature, uh, being at the mercy of seasons, being at the mercy of drought or flood, you know, all these things. I totally get why humans have gone above and beyond to not be cold, not be hot, but we've pushed it to such an extreme. Now we don't even understand how, what the truth about survival actually is. And so the point of all of this roundabout process with you here this morning is the fact that there is no simple, absolute truth that solves every problem. But the flip side is it doesn't mean we don't we quit asking questions and we don't participate. And even though there's no way forward where everybody's happy and everybody gets what they want and everybody's on the same page, we still have to participate in the process. And one of the most important reasons why we have to participate in the process is that there's always more people coming behind us. And if we want to evolve spiritually, it's not human evolution that we really need to be focused on, but it's the spiritual component to that. We'll never learn if we don't keep moving forward. And the only way we can keep moving forward is to create systems in which the humans behind us can also do the same thing. And that's such an abstraction. I don't think most people really care unless you have children. And you look back and you think, but I want my great, great, great grandchildren to be able to survive. I mean, that's the real connection. That's the heart connection. That's the love that fuels the strength. But it's such an abstraction as a truth. It's hard to make that enough to hold on to if you're hungry or you're cold and you burn, you cut down that last tree that maybe had apples on it to feed you and use that wood to keep warm. It's very difficult to hold that legacy truth in the face of extreme physical discomfort. So like I said, there's no like simple answer to all of this. I just sort of wanted to take you on this exercise because, you know, what started off as a single idea this morning became the normal cluster, you know, trying to get it recorded. Now the dog is acting up, you know, the sun's coming up, so she's ready to get out of here. Uh, You know, I can't make anything work. Uh, You know, I have 800 pounds of equipment, and the only thing I can make work right now is a tiny phone with a crappy microphone. And I'm like, why am I dragging, you know, three computers and this huge box of cables and extension cords uh, that I now have to pray I can get the generator going. I can't make any of that work. And, you know, I'm spending all this time and energy trying to produce something that's just an idea that will float in and out of your consciousness briefly. I don't have an answer for all of that, but this is just sort of our reality of where we are right now. I don't know what the smart thing to say or do is other than the two things that I have settled on for myself is how do I survive and what is my sacred duty? 
And then how do I stay sane in the process of all of it? And, you know, my sacred duty is to the truth. And the truth to me is that, you know, love and strength is what we know as God. It's the power that holds the universe for together. It's what we are as an energy and an idea. But this physical stuff is something we have to participate in because we are here. Our awareness is here. And, you know, I don't like being hungry. I certainly don't want to see the dog go hungry. There has to be a practical part. And so we're running on these two parallel roads that must find a way to intersect, moving us forward. And it's not something I can quit or give up on. One, I don't like being hungry. And two, the compulsion in me, which is everything to me that wired wired for danger is, can't stop. No matter what the truth is, no matter who cares or doesn't care, no matter how hard it is or how frustrated I get, there's just no day that I don't pick myself up and try again. Now, how I do that is ugly, and most people don't want to see that. <laughs> the dog does, right? But why I do it is it's because, to me, that's what love is. You just pick yourself up, and you keep moving forward, and you do your best to bring as many people with you in the way that makes sense for you, whether it's learning how to grow food, whether it's learning how to protect that food so that it's not uh, ruined or destroyed, whether it's creating beauty in art, whether it's trying to be part of the political system, uh, whether it's teaching, whether it's healing, whether it's making, whether it's producing, uh, whether it's transportation, like all these millions of little things that we're all called to do and be in the world have value, And the one thing we have all in common is we like to eat, we want our survival needs met, and we all need to be seen and valued in a way that has meaning for us, whether that's in a relationship, whether it's in a job, uh, whether it's in a creative field, or whether it's just in the beauty of being outside. I don't know. I don't have magic answers for all of this. I just know that every morning... I get up and try to figure out how to move myself forward. And there's no truth that has set me free in a way that I'm just done. And there's no day that I don't think about how am I going to feed myself. And I can't imagine that the rest of the world isn't sort of having the same conversation. All right. Well, I'm going to go out and start my functional day because while I hope there's no wind, I can hear it kicking up. There's a lot to do, so fingers crossed the generator works so that we can live to have another day where we talk about whatever that will pass through one ear and out the next, but hopefully will leave a tiny little imprint on you that inspires you to get up and move forward also. And with that, my friends, deep breath, and I will see you next time.